welcome back to Soundcheck, the rock and roll alternative music, metal, whatever the hell podcast we're doing here. Wonderful intro I've done. My name is Andrew Mullen. Here's my co-host. Elio Stante. And we are joined by a special guest. I am Michael Livingston. I am a freshman here at CMU. I just started at CM Life, and uh, I'm really excited to be here. Big fan of this podcast. Oh, really? We have a fan. Mm-hmm. Did, did, did I am you, your first did fan. You get, would you have ever guessed that? All one of them? <laughs> we have one fan. Everyone but, else is now on our podcast. I listen to podcasts all the time. And like this, this is the first podcast that's like centered around like the thing I'm most passionate about. So I really appreciate yeah. that. We got, we found the fan. The we found one the view. one fan we have. Segway. Anyways, so today we are talking about Jack White. More specifically, his... Mainly his post-White Stripes days. You know, we don't really want to focus much on that band, as much as I think everyone sitting at this table is a big fan of that band. I think it would be thought it'd be a little more interesting we explored his side projects, his solo, perhaps his dealings with Dirty Man Records, all that fun stuff. So, Michael, if you want to start us off, um, what is your personal connections with Jack White as far as how long you've been listening to him and, like, what do you personally get out of his music? And that could be from... The White Stripes at the very sure. beginning, Cooper and the Peas, to now. Well, similar to a lot of people, I found out about, I heard Seven Nation Army um, all th- growing up, like at football stadiums, at parties, whatever, family gatherings. And it always became like this noise, kind of like, you know, that song, Who Let the Dogs Out? You know that song, but you don't know who the hell it's by. So I'm like, okay, this is this is a song and it's a great anthem, but I don't know who this is by. And then I ran into some friends in high school who introdu- who showed me the song Dead Leaves on the Dirty Ground Ooh, off of uh, White Blood Cells. Yeah, that's the that's the first track off White Blood Cells. And that song alone got me into exploring all the white blood cells and all the white stripes discography and then I met a guy named Aaron um, who played in a band with me in high school and he is a Jack White fanatic and he taught me about Third Man Records and Jack White specifically going into all of his side projects, the Rack on Tours, the Dead Weather and then his solo stuff which I'm a huge fan of too and from then on um, you know, I've been to Third Man Records the Cast Corridor in Detroit at least 10 times I've seen people play there I've been involved with you know third man records I order their stuff offline I you know I, I represent them I think Jack White is a great musician and you know he's I like to call him the Willy Wonka of the music industry <laughs> just because of how much he innovates and experiments with That's... what he can do with this sort of format you're the first person we've ever heard Describe Jack White like that. I, I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna steal that from you and Good use that from now. I am definitely not the first to use that. I stole. It from I think I think else. I've heard it but, before. Yeah. <laughs> I've never have, so I'm gonna start using it. So, uh, what about you? What, what what do you what what have you enjoyed about Jack White's music, his career, his life? Uh, I know that I've pretty much enjoyed everything, maybe minus some of his solo career stuff, but obviously the. The whole the White Stripes discography is really, it's really interesting to me that two people can produce all that. I, I don't want to. They produce all that noise, but it's not like noise in a negative way. It's like 
two people like so stripped down have created really loud, passionate and really aggressive music. And then have also been able to like scale back off of, uh, scale back off of it with like get behind me Satan where it's much more quiet piano driven. And that, that to me is like maybe the greatest thing about Jack White and his whole of his discography is the white stripes to me. But then even with the raconteurs and uh, Dead Weathers, him being much more experimental in his music, I think I think it's always the experimental stuff that I've always enjoyed with Jack White. I'm going to come out right in front of it. I'm not a huge Jack White fanatic. I'm more of a passerby as far as his uh, career goes. Um what I've what I've heard, I usually enjoy. Um, I have issues with how, and we'll we'll talk about this later. But I do have issues with how people tend to put him on this huge pedestal. Um, but overall, I think he's a really talented guy, and he's good at usually good at songwriting. And I think he usually crafts some interesting or very simplistic but solid hard rocking material. I again, I really do tend to enjoy. As, even though I've had issues with how people just you know describe him i i do tend to see that he's a very prolific artist and he's had you know a very expansive career as far as genres he's explored and the bands he's been in and the music he's made and i think you know you it's really interesting career when you take a look at it but yeah so my but my outside of like just understanding that my personal uh dealings with jack white as far as listening to the music has somewhat is probably very limited compared to you guys so this was kind of an interesting thing for me to really finally forced myself to go into his stuff a bit more. I have a question. Uh, do you consider yourself a blues fan in general? Like like blues rock or just blues? No, like old style blues. Blues, yeah. So if we're talking, I mean, if we're going back to like the 1930s here, the only music from that time period I would ever listen to is like the old Delta blues. You know, you know Robert Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously famous guy. Don't know if I can name anyone else from that period. But well, sure. that's well, that's Jack White. Jack White oh, is yeah. Delta blues. Yeah, and I mean, kind well, kind of. We're talking like the old like acoustic. Bare bone, like I went down to the crack room. I don't know what that was, but I did yeah. it. <laughs> but I think that's where that element of what you brought up of being so stripped down yeah. and simplistic—that's the blues in it of its core. And mm-hmm. since Andrew, you consider yourself more of a fast-paced punk rock guy, a lot of things going on at once. I I can see how it might be hard to process something that's so stripped well, down to its bare bo- bones like the blues. Well, here's here's the thing. I mean, as much as yes, hard, fast, loud is tends to be the formula that I get drawn to the most. But I mean, there's plenty. You know, I can really get into like folk music sure. of like the early '60s, Bob Dylan, Joan Baez. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of that stuff I do tend to enjoy. It's not even about that. You know, sometimes I think he can be. I don't know. I just some of the music that he's made isn't hasn't necessarily drawn me in as much as other stuff has. Um, but again, I love the blues. I love, I can play a Muddy Waters live album and, you know, really enjoy it and re- really into it. You know, my dad, huge, huge Stevie Ray Vaughan fan. So, of course, I know all that stuff. So, I love the blues. This is why I get really drawn to White Stripes and Rock and Tours. That really pretty much blues rock, you know, blues music. Uh, I think Jack said in an interview with... Um Charlie Rose that the White Stripes is his excuse to play the blues. <laughs> so 
I I really keep that idea of the White Stripes being simply a more progressive blues rock band than anything else before I would consider them garage rock or anything like that. So you would so you wouldn't put uh, the White Stripes then in uh, the whole mid two thousands. Oh no, they, de- they, def- they definitely belong there, but I think they have something at their core that that blues element that sets them apart and brought them to popularity. That's why you don't see a lot of those other Detroit garage rock groups soaring in popularity like the White Stripes did because the White Stripes had something different. They had that blues kind of theme behind it, and I think that's that's what soared them to popularity. With older and younger generations. Well, there was also that like, um, just like pure passion and just like bit of like determination, effort, and just like a pure like attitude that he has when he plays guitar. Where even if during the solo, not every note is perfect, or not every note makes sense, or his guitar is squealing and like it overpowers his voice, or you're listening and like you have to turn the music down suddenly because it's just like a high ringing feedback that he's getting from his amp. You never, you never totally feel like that's out of place in what Jack White does because he plays it with such a conviction that it's easy to be drawn to like that sort of almost like a charisma that he has playing his music and singing his songs. Yeah, he's got a really he's, unique singing voice and sometimes you really bust out that that create that like the real huge like I'm is vibrato the right word to use for that like create the really wild performances he does? I think that 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 personality comes from his insane work ethic. He's got that work ethic that I would compare to Henry Rollins where he can't sit down for one minute. He's always thinking of new creative ideas, new music ideas. And, you know, um, I, I saw that in an interview once and, and, and most of his records, like he's not the type of dude to, like Metallica to spend a year in the studio only to come out with a mediocre record. He records <laughs> records in a week or two weeks or three weeks and then he releases them. He produces them and releases them maybe a month later. It's so, it's so sporadic. Even, yeah, and even though he might do it really fast, those songs are, they're all of a really high quality. and mm-hmm. They're not he, overdone or undersold. Yeah. Look, if you look at his career in, in total, I think there definitely is, um, he's definitely one of those guys that is able to do the quality and quantity thing both equally well. Yeah. But so uh, like, like you were talking about where he can't really sit still, you know, that's kind of what kind of leads us into our next part where. Yeah. During, side projects. Yeah. During the White Stripes, he came up with, the wreck on tours right uh was it 2000 so did they form in 2005 or they were probably formed in 2005 and what a lot of people don't remember is that their big hit steady as she goes even if you don't know the rack on tours you probably heard that song once in your life the Mm -hmm. that song is what formed the rack on tours it was him and brendan benson in like a hot attic in uh, nashville playing just really simplistic bass lines and then they came up with this song that was so catchy and it's like that's a guaranteed hit right there and then they went into forming the Rack on Tours. So yeah, the Rack on Tours is just an interesting band cuz it's all it's so spontaneous, I suppose. And like um 
their records, like I said, like all Jack White projects, they're recorded very quickly. They don't go back and try to change things, I imagine. What What do you like the most about the Rock on Tours? Um, well, they do incorporate a lot. They have this certain rustic aesthetic with them um, where it's this kind of rockabilly. I don't know if that's the right word, but they, it, it's just it's a very... Delta blues that we mentioned yeah, earlier. Yeah. That's that's really it. It's like you, really... you look at the cover of Counselors of the Lonely and, they, and you see them up on this outdoor stage. Yeah. It's like they're in a fairground. Yeah. Look at it, looking like they're, uh, what is it, Dixie, right. Dixie musicians or something. Yeah, and it's just this certain, like, rustic, very frontier aesthetic that draws a lot of people to them where it's not exactly country, it's not exactly bluegrass. It's this merriment of the White Stripes, uh, you know, very energetic and speedy um Guitars. Guitars mixed with like these elements of, you know, more slower, more folky genres. And then arguably the combination of Jack White and Brendan Benson together is arguably better than his chemistry with like him and Meg. At least that's my opinion. Because the way they can, you know, craft these songs, it, you know, everyone knows that Jack White was probably the leading writer for the White Stripes. Yeah, knew, Meg didn't contribute much besides you know, that very Stone Age um, minimalist drumming. But that's, you know, that's an important component, but still. Yeah, and, you know, to, to jump on that real quick, um, I, I don't know if you've read that Rolling Stone article that when they interviewed Jack White about his his relationship with Meg. Um, not, not, not necessarily their marriage mm-hmm. early on, but, oh, um, you know, I, th- I think this was from a few years ago, and he said, yeah, we really don't talk much anymore because mm-hmm. he described her as kind of a hermit. It yeah. was kind of her little thing. She really wasn't. Very, she wasn't really very excitable as far as it's like yeah. She had stage fright, as far as I remember. Yeah. So, he's yeah. yeah. You know, I think I remember she. He mentioned there. It's like I turn around and I'm still surprised she's even there. Mm-hmm. But Jack being paired up with Benson, who's another Detroit rocker, that's equally, equally if not you know more charismatic than him. That that that's a totally different relationship from the White Stripes. But since it was just after the White Stripes heyday. He's still bringing in those elements and mixing them with all of these other musicians' ideas, and it forms something really unique. You know what? Honestly, when I was listening to uh, listening to their stuff, especially with Councils of the Lonely, and we'll get, get to it in a second, but if we're comparing that to something like the White Stripes, that was pretty much the most noticeable thing Jack White had done before uh, forming uh, the Rock on Tours. You know, the production, I thought, was... I mean, it was. I don't know if I can see better because it was. It was fantastic. If I don't know if I can really say it's better than the White Stripes. There was also probably more resources available for that. Yeah, type of production. but even then, the White it worked for the, the production skills they had worked for their sound of the White Stripes. But I felt like it was really punchy. You listen to "Salute Your Solution," it's really punchy. Like it just that 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 opening riff just smacks you in the face, and it's in the best way possible. And you know, I think you really. And they do take more risks. They added what, strings in that album. They added horns. They, they, I think they really, I think they allowed themselves to really explore those genres a bit more than they could have in the White Stripes. Yeah, well, that was. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, that that was kind of the interesting thing that when I, when we were talking about doing this, going in and listening to all of Jack's Jack White's sort of discography, that even though there are elements from the White Stripes that Jack White clearly carries over into all of his other bands the when you really like try and like narrow it down the white stripes and then anything else that jack white does are leagues apart just in terms of 
the White Stripes is just guitar, drums, vocals. Maybe he'll put in a keyboard or a piano. But then all, all of the other discography, much better production. Songs you can tell are much more fleshed out and they've been written with other people. It's not Jack White going in, slamming a guitar riff through on a like a squealing amp and then saying, oh yeah, that was good enough. <laughs> He's actually got other people that have input and they actually flesh out songs and they add more to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is the really interesting. I think Rack on Tours also marks Jack's first signs of experimentation. Like you said, using those different instruments and stuff like that. I got a short list here. There's mandolin, fiddle, flute, violin, banjo, all of those instruments and more, you know, organ, piano. Those are all on those Rack and Tours records. And I think that was Jack White starting to go into that experimentation that you'll see even in like the later career. Yeah. And that, that experimentation with Rack on Tours, he, takes with him into his next uh side project Project. awesome segue elio nice job Um, (laughs) i appreciate that well it's not awesome when you point it out so with the dead weathers he started they started out what i think is like 2009 or something yeah Yeah, pretty late stripes are pretty much dead at this point Mm -hmm. so i mean they had officially broken up but they were two years after icky thump but um beginnings of third man records which contributes a lot into the dead we'll get the third man in a second but for sure Elio, you seem to be the bigger Dead Weather fan out of the three of us. Why is that? Yeah, do it before I shit talk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a bad way of wording it, but yeah. <laughs> because why the- do you like this more than we do? <laughs> Because the dead weather, the dead weathers are, I think, the most interesting thing Jack White has done. Because it is not him on guitars, like as much as anything else that he's done. It is not him main stage with vocals as much as anything else. And you can tell that these songs are. They're guided by Jack White, but it's not the Jack White uh, fun house that he is. He's accustomed to being able to walk into and just clearly dictate the show. No, yeah, that's understandable. (laughs) Yeah, it's not not the chocolate. It's not his chocolate factory, but um, you you clearly see it with on the Dead Weather's last album that they had um dodge and burn every song is just this crazy dark almost like gothic rock mm. songs where allison mosshart the whose build is the lead singer in the dead weathers instead of jack white singing with her or in tune with her most of the time mm-hmm. they're almost like fighting with each other for vocals which is a really that. interesting yeah dynamic considered that yeah, because because uh, actually the that last album is actually uh, the it's almost a concept album in which people have pointed out that 
the lyrics are about uh, a man and a woman and the woman is like trying to kill the guy. And so that is sort of why the, the vocals might be so weird and interesting. But I think, I think the dead weathers is his, some of his best and most experimental work. He's I would done. agree that dodge and burn is some of his best and most experimental work. I think dodge and burn. I love that record. It's great. Um, the first two dead weather albums are very forgettable for, to me. Yeah, I, I was listening. I was listening to Whorehound. Uh, I I really never really dug into the Dead Weather, and I was listening to Whorehound. It was like there there's some choice songs in there that are okay that I can that I was kind of getting into. But what was the um this third song off that record? Um, I cut like a buffalo. I I thought that song was like it was fairly heavy. Um, and really loud which is again something i like so i was like yeah i was kind of getting into this but like it, it, it was a bit of a drag to get through you know it was kind of boring and especially coming off of like the rock on tours had this really crisp production and really do where to add punch to guitars and really knew where to accentuate certain uh instruments over others going into this it was like kind of muddy and it was just kind of like this doesn't feel as powerful in certain areas as it should be and i don't think he really had lack direction in that sense yeah i'm kind of reevaluating my original statement i don't hate the dead weather i, I don't think, either i think what i think what really um kind of drives me away from them is that, well one they were formed while the raconteurs were on tour and jack lost lost his voice due to uh bronchitis i believe therefore they had allison uh mossart take over for those shows that he couldn't sing so the band was formed out of accident Therefore, and like you said, um, Jack White didn't have, have the helm in this project, so you don't get a lot of that Jack White flavor. They didn't have a set aesthetic like the Tours and the White Stripes have um, until very late in their career, like with Dodge and Burn. Um, I feel like if they were to come out with something now, that could be really interesting to see now that they have kind of an established aesthetic and sound that you can kind of you can relate to Jack White, but it still kind of deviates away and can be seen as a very respectable um, standalone project for Jack. So, see, I'm totally in like the opposite direction. I think that Deadweather, right from the get go, you get that this is a much this is music coming from a much darker place in maybe Jack White and the other members of the band's psyche, where mm-hmm. the songs are dealing with more on the lines of depression, losing a sig- significant other or someone essentially haunting your yeah, dream. Allison's vocals really added that creepy aesthetic to it. Um, and it was, I, I, I certainly liked it because when you look at up until the most recent solo record, we'll say it's probably the most that, 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 that discography of the dead weather is probably the thing that deviates most from his uh, career. You look at yeah, look at it as a whole. I like how you defined it as very gothic because that is that's an aesthetic to chase after, right there. And and if you keep that in mind, I think that'll help you dig through their discography a little better. I don't know. Now maybe I should go back with that mindset and kind of reevaluate what I think about them. But prior to going into this podcast, I just felt like, in comparison with his other projects, including his solo which, you know, we'll touch on and whatever. It, it just seems so forgettable. But I think, sorry to take your place, Andrew, but I think if you are going to go back, definitely check out Sea of Cowards again, like mm-hmm. their their second album. Yeah. And there's two songs on there. There's uh, 
the difference between us where you have this keyboard that was apparently really old and like they had put it through some sort of amp or something that it's almost like backfiring mm-hmm. and it's a really neat sound and the keyboard is just really cool. And then you have, I can't hear you where Jack white is playing guitar and Oh, Dean Ferrita. Yeah. He's from Queens of the stone age. There you go. Bassist. The, the lead guitarist for dead weather. Oh, I thought he played bass. there. No, he's a, he's actually the guitarist. Okay. Um, but so they're both playing guitar on this song, and Jack plays the more quiet, simple guitar, whereas Dean is playing this really sporadic, crazy notes over it. And it's like a call and response between the two of them. Mm-hmm. That's a that album is really neat, just based off of those two songs. Like I, I definitely give them a listen to again yeah. if you can. All right, you got some opinions, Andrew? Nope. Okay. I'm done with it. Yeah, <laughs> Dead Weather to me is just like to me personally, they just not significant enough to me to really warrant that much. Again, I much prefer the Rock on Tours. I much prefer the White Stripes over them. I don't hate the Dead Weather. It's just they're just not. I was just listening through them. I was like, I, I didn't really see like this is something truly special. But and that, that that's that's kind of where my headspace is at with them. But. Uh, if you want to go back to Jack White and just kind of smooth along, we're, we're kind of going in chronological order as best we can. It's you have to jump around a bit. Uh, I kind of want to talk about Third Man a bit. Just kind of, we won't go into too long here. You said you'd mentioned stories. You I have the third so man. many stories of Third Man. Well, let, let's, let's. I'll keep it to the best one. Okay. So the Third Man records that um in Detroit. I've never been in the Nashville one before, although I've had friends who've gone. I um the. I think my second time visiting Third Man was when the Cast Corridor opened up, which is the vinyl pressing plant that they have in the store, in the back of the store. You can Mm -hmm. go back there and look through the glass and see vinyl records being pressed, which is so cool. Um, But uh, to celebrate this, they were holding um, a show with Craig Brown Band, another classic Detroit garage rock band, um, The Mummies, and then another one that escapes me. they were the headliner too, so I feel like I should remember them, <laughs> but I totally forgot about it. Anyway, they were re-releasing some classic Michigan um, music. Like they re-released, I think, the Stooges' first record on this nice, like yellow vinyl MC5, and then they had the Stripes self-titled on this nice red vinyl. I was going in for the Stooges, but ended up only being able to get the um, the Stripes self-titled because all the Stooges ones were picked up right away. Didn't have yeah. any more. It yeah, sucked. That, that, it that sucks. Sounds about it right. sucks even more with the fact that it was probably December, 30 degrees out, and I was wearing nothing but a flannel shirt and jeans, uh, waiting out there for no less than three and a half hours to you, get into the store. You know, earlier we had talked about why I would never go and visit <laughs> Third Man Records. Yeah. And this is part of it because there's just that. <laughs> insane devotion to it that I just don't understand. And I know I would buy something there, but I just, I don't want to give Jack White any more money. I've given him a lot. I've given him a lot. I I just can't see myself in like letting him indulge in these crazy fantasies. Yeah. So, sorry. They have the, they have the vault, the third man vault, which is like their quarterly subscription. I just didn't know if you wanted to finish your story. 
Or was uh, it like, that was pretty much the end, but I just know uh, I... That was it. That's why I jumped in. Yeah, uh, my, my buddy... I, I, he, I thought there was more. My buddy Aaron, the one I said who was a huge Jack White fanatic, he subscribed to that vault. I think it's like about just less than 100 bucks a month. You get sent all this exclusive stuff, but it's like you are throwing hundreds uh, of dollars yeah, so to just get a couple it, things. It's, I like, get, oh my it's God. just a side rant here, and this is kind of about... The thing with that, like, I'm all for him experimenting with music, and I think that's a perfectly wonderful thing to do. Um, I don't get this crazy, weird, bullshit record pressings that this guy is trying to do. I call, call it, like, limited edition color pressings are already stingy enough because, like, oh, we put... we. We're putting a slightly different, you know, color PVC in here. That's what we're going to press it on. Give us 15 more dollars for the same exact record. Whatever. But the thing that really, like, the thing we talked about with, like, Lazaretto, uh, I am I I don't own it because uh, I just don't. Yeah. And, I, think, I think we should lie. Yeah. Can I share my story yeah, on that one more we, time? I it's pretty funny. Actually, yes. Okay, you you so, tell it first, and then so, I want to jump in. So the first Jack White record I bought solo was Lazaretto, which is ironic because now I consider it my least favorite of his discography. However, I have it on vinyl, and my mom bought it for me for Christmas, and she... I took it up to my room and I, you know, I put it on my turntable and I put it where the groove should be at the very edge of the record and it wouldn't go. So I'm like, what's going on here? And then my buddy Aaron, who's the Jack White fanatic, came over and he's like, you do realize this plays backwards and you, uh, and you know, there's all these weird experimentations with it. And I'm like, I didn't know that was a thing. Like, I just thought records get played normally. And I, before well, yeah, that most happened. Most do. Yeah. That one doesn't. Before, before that, I even went out and bought the single of Lazaretto because I love the single. I even bought it from Third Man, which was a useless purchase if I just would have figured out how to play the record. But it's, I, I do have to say now that I, I love the, the creativity that went into that record. Cause if, see, I, I don't. Yeah. Describe if, what what is this hologram on? If you the... if you shine a light on the record while it's playing, um, either from your phone or a flashlight or whatever, preferably in a dark room, you can see a little angel hovering above the record, um, and it's just the coolest thing to watch. And it's you start to wonder how did they do this? And I don't even think Jack himself knows how they did that. I saw it in interviews like I don't know how they did it, but it's probably the coolest thing I've ever seen done to a I, record. I, I think there was like. I can't remember if it was like in the actual LP or if they included like a special like seven inch bonus thing, um, like the first like Star Wars, like the new Star Wars mm-hmm. uh, films was it The Force Awakens. I know they had um, is that what it's called? Are you you're talking about the, the very new, newest one, the new the, sequel that they're doing? Yeah, it's the, the, the Force Awakens. Yeah, that's the first. So yeah, so yeah, I think on the back they had like hologram like Millennium like like I was gonna say Millennium Force. That's a freaking. Uh, Drill yeah. <laughs> uh, William Falcon. Um, right. So they have like William Falcons. They had like Tie Fighters. Like okay, that's kind of cool. I I assume they etched it in specially would be my guess, and then the light refracts off it. And yeah. then, mm. but but again, my whole thing about like the whole playing backwards. I think that to me just screams you're just trying to be different for the sake of being different. Like certain no certain I know certain presses have been done. I know there's Don't like you wear a jean. Uh, that's different. With that is and different. On it. Yeah. That's not to be different. It's to show my love and devotion you all, for pop You rock. also have to consider this, Andrew. The third man logo is or mantra is your turntable's not dead. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to make it so there's so many other things you can do with vinyl, and there's this certain um, 
feeling that you get from holding something physical. You mm-hmm. own this piece of music, we, and you can do that. And and I think that's what they're trying to express by doing all these different experiments. See, I think what because I sorry to no, interrupt you. I think what Andrew is. I think what you're kind of missing here is you haven't seen or read the interviews where Jack White talks about what vinyl is to him as a person, where he just totally geeks out and fanboys. I, I, I'm, where, I'm not denying that. I, I have hundreds of LPs, and I, I love collecting records, and just having that in my hand is great. I just think just the whole, like, the actual mechanics of it, I just think that's just, to me, it's just kind of, like, just gimmicky and isn't really necessary. Um well, especially t- when you want to sorry ask- you're, t- you're turned off by the whole collector's aspect of it right yeah part of it is it too and just the fact that you know we're gonna pay more for for gimmicky things it's like no i That's for me i just want the music I just want the music that's the most important thing for me to have on the record no that's understandable so but, but no so i'm i'm all f- I, I love the fact that he has he's pressing more records on vinyl i think it's fantastic and i want more of that to happen. It's just for me personally, I, I just don't think we need to get bogged down. I don't think we need to just make this extra, mm-hmm. do all this extra stuff that isn't necessary. You know, just, just, and it kind of harms the consumer a bit more. That's just me though. Yeah. So, okay. So before, weird side tangent. Okay. So before everybody thinks that Third Man Record is just Jack White pressing records, could you sort of explain to people what? third man is and sort of does for i guess and for music in general um well third man got started in nashville um and then got moved to detroit a, a detroit branch um i would say third man is just like it is charlie and the chocolate factory where it's just like it's a place of innovation and jack white works with not only older artists like say loretta lynn but also new artists and they're so it's also a production. It's it's production. It's recording. It's 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 a record label, um, and and a vinyl press with it. You know, it's it's an all in one package, which what, you don't see a lot. So besides Jack White's stuff, mm-hmm. like what other notable artists have been there? I know Sleep released yes. a record through it this year. I, yes, I believe Jack White re- single handedly revived <laughs> uh, uh, Stoner Metal overboard with by, it, but. by signing that band. It's a great. I wouldn't call it an LP because I think it's only like six songs. But well, their six songs, songs are probably like twenty minutes, minutes each. each yeah. So, so let's call, call it an LP. album. Let's call it an album. That album is the pinnacle of stoner metal, and I love it so much. And and then on top of that, he's he's re-releasing all of these old artists, like um, one I own, the Electric Mud um, double LP. That's all of Muddy Waters' early stuff. On yeah, I think I, I think I did see that. It's a great record, and it's, it's wonderfully produced, and it sounds great, and. Yeah, and then I think, weren't we talking about Jay Z earlier? His whole thing with it wasn't he? He was on a he had a record with Third Man. I Did think. he? I I don't know. I was seen talk- him in the store. I was talking about his track rights relationship with Tidal, but I do not want to get into that. Okay. Yeah, we'll just we'll just avoid. Yeah, I'd prefer to. But but yeah, and then you get you still have all those classic Detroit bands like uh, or the garage scene like uh, the Gories. That's a great band. I got a forty-five of theirs. Um, Craig Brown band, like I mentioned, and um, you know the Oblivions. That's a great band too. You know the Rationals repressed there. I feel like that'd be a perfect thing for them to reissue. Yeah, the Melvins. I remember. 
And then, and then they started doing these blue room sessions, which is really cool. It's where artists come in and they just, you know, they record a couple tracks. And they recently did that with my favorite band, Dinosaur Jr., with a couple tracks from their new yeah, album. I think I saw that. So they're great, and I would argue they're produced better than what they are in the actual album. I, I think I saw a seven inch. I don't know if I yeah, yeah, saw the live recordings. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, but yeah, no, I I think. I, I think Thurman does show Jack White's appreciation for music. Um, I think slowly but surely he's he's amounting more notable names to come and record for for his for, for his studio and for his label. And I think it's uh, I, I think it's an interesting point to bring up later for a wrap up. But mm-hmm. um, for talking about Jack White, I think at this point it's it's completely necessary that we talk about his solo because to me. I, I, tell me if I'm. Tell me if this guess is wrong. You are. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> it's, it's okay. What's your guess? It's, it's okay, Elio. Just just watch out for the arsenic I'm going to put in your cereal tomorrow. Anyways, <laughs> um, do you think that his solo stuff is the most like commercially successful thing he's done? No. Be- well, no. The stripes is obviously yeah, commercially white- successful. <laughs> but you say that, but like, how many? Like, I, I think like the how White much Stripes more are... critical or commercial success has he had with his solo stuff compared to the Stripes? Because the thing, I mean, for me, it can go the Stripes or his solo stuff either way at this point. But it's just like I don't know it, the fact that he can almost that it's an argument you can make to to say that his his solo stuff is more successful than the Stripes is I think saying something. I think I think at this point the Stripes are probably much more commercial and critically successful than Jack White's solo because we're, like, comparing, what, six albums to three? Three. Well, yeah, I mean... And his six Stripe albums, I think he's got five Grammys off of there where his his solo stuff only has two or something. So, I mean, I think if he gets the six solo albums, we'd be able to do that, but I think you're... I mean, talking numbers, just straight-up numbers, it's White Stripes, but talking... Jack White's progression and his artistic ability. I think his solo stuff. He's much more grown up. He's kind of grown out of this, uh, this childlike. Um, I don't know simplicity yeah, in his songwriting that that the White Stripes had. But it was you know it was a it was a charming characteristic of the White Stripes. But he kind of eliminated that a little more. And I think in that way, his solo career appeals to different audiences, but not. A greater amount of audience in general. Oh, okay. Maybe. So, so um, if anyone couldn't uh, hear that, um, uh, Brent, our podcast editor, he mentioned that all three Jack White solo records went number one, but none of the White Stripes did. But the White Stripes did sell more copies. So I, th- I think, yeah, I think, I think, Elliot, right? It'd be more interesting to see once he does get a similar. Um, amount of albums to to the White Stripes compared then, I the only reason it probably did go number one because a they're quality records and b well it's Jack White now yeah yeah Jack is. he had the name recognition from all the other stuff he has done by the time he went into 2011 with his album Blunderbuss he he had that huge name recognition.
mentioned somewhere. Um, I totally forget where, so don't, you know, count me for We're spreading misinformation. Don't do it. But I, I heard somewhere that it's like, with the recent record, Boarding House Reach, this mi- that might be the end of it for his solo career because it got so much praise from, you know, the really hipstery, pretentious type and also, like, the, uh, um, you know, the mainstream type of reviewers that there's really no way to top it. Didn't opinion. Anthony Fantano give him give that record a nine or something? I'm so glad we're bringing guy. up Fantano. <laughs> you could yeah. have a podcast completely about Fantano, and I would be okay, have well, so many opinions well, we, on it. So yeah, it appeared to those hipstery types with the with Fantano and all those reviewers, but it also appeared to you know those mainstream reviewers like Rolling Stone and stuff like that. And people are saying Jack White can't really top that last record. <laughs> like it, it's just the experimentation on that. How how far can you go well, without? With completely deviating from the mainstream. Well, let's talk about Blunderbuss first. Yeah, yeah kind we'll of start we'll from the beginning. Back. So, to me, when I was listening to Blunderbuss, like a lot of that, um, that record to me, uh, like it, it was really kind of an extension of a lot of the things he had done. Like, you know, I was listening to like Sixteen Saltines. I was like, wow, this is like some later White Stripes, you know. Rock on tours, yeah. kind of inspired song, and then he'd have more ba- like piano ballads and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's like it. He, he was. He was. It was clear he was starting to deviate from a lot of that blues rock he was doing with those bands. But you know, it, it was. He hadn't completely gone away from it. Right. It's a really nice bridge between what we get to in his later solo stuff and his previous career. Yeah, my my opinions of Blunderbuss. I. I prefer that record over Lazaretto, not over Boarding House Reach, but it, it's, it's a fantastic record that sort of has the catchiness of those White Stripes tunes, those old Stripes tunes like "Fell in Love with a Girl," where it's just a, it's memorable lyrics, memorable chorus, but it also ha- it it marks that um, experimentation with Jack White's solo career that you're going to see later on, um, and it was more uh, garagey and more rock anthem esque. And then somehow he completely deviates from that with Lazaretto, where, in my opinion, it's just his interpretation of bluegrass music. But you you have a different opinion on Lazaretto than I do. Yeah, so I like Blunderbuss because it seems more of him going back to what made White Stripes really cool. But then it was it's as if it was a White Stripes album that was just the greatest hits of them. And then they said okay, well, finish all the parts of this album because there are White Stripes song where, songs where you hear it and you and you kind of go, oh, that would have been neat if it had some other instrument in it or it could have like used another another something here. And that's what they did. On, that's what he did on Blunderbuss. He had White Stripes songs, but then completely flushed them out with anything that they were missing. Sure. But then going into Lazaretto, I really like that album because the bluegrass on it is really cool. And then I think I think in terms of his songwriting, it might be his his densest and most inward looking lyrics. Sure. To where some of the lyrics like on temporary ground, he's asking he's essentially asking God why he left us. And then Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, yeah. And then in uh, off the song entitlement, it's it's like a counterculture counterculture song 
where he's complaining about how I think the line is children, us millennials, they take like Caesar and nobody cares. And he's really reflecting on sort of all the stuff around him in the music industry and in society. And then how he feels sort of displaced and not in where music is and how society functions as a whole. Cause I really like that inward looking aspect of Jack white that we've never really gotten before. Yeah. Uh, not too familiar with Lazaretto. Uh, Blunderbuss. I'm a little more familiar with, um, I'm not talking the music wise, but like the first, when I first heard the name Jack white, it was a little round after he released Blunderbuss. So like the, the, that was like the first title that I had heard and associated with the name Jack White. So this was, this is, that's kind of been a title that's been in the back of my head for a while. And when I finally got time to sit down and listen to it, I was like, this is, again, like I said, a really nice bridge between the the earlier um, blues rock stuff he was making and what would come later to his most recent album. I really, again, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I used to probably prefer uh, what I heard on Blunderbuss over the new record, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, but simply because it had that really interesting, like dynamic, it had, had that bridge, it had the elements, um, of his blues rock stuff and then some more experimental, I had some ballads again. I really liked how the piano stuff sounded on here. I think I thought the production on this record was really good too. Mm -hmm. And you had that really nice mix in there. And I think it's a really interesting snapshot in his career. And it's just, I think it's really interesting to revisit now. So yeah, if, if we're going to talk about my the favorite stuff I've heard from his solo, I'd probably go Blunderbuss. Mm-hmm. Let's touch on that new record, though. This, so you really want to talk about this. Yeah, one. now <laughs> we're going into Boarding House region. Mm-hmm. My opinion of it is, is it, it is like a, it is a tough slug and just a slog right to the end. You have these really high moments, but you like, I was really trudging through like 90% of this album. Yeah, for, for me, I thought this was like a six, six and a half, maybe a seven out of 10. I will, I, I'm, I'm not really seeing, the, maybe I need more time to gel with it, but I, for me, I'm not seeing the, the huge praise that this album has been given, but I don't think it's bad. I, I had some enjoyments of it, particular songs and whatnot. So uh, that's kind of been my general takeaway from it. So now if I can contradict your guys' statements, I am absolutely in love with this record. I'd say it's it's up there with some with some of my favorites of Jack White's work, simply because of this appeal where it's 
it's just approachable enough to where the mainstream listener can listen to this and be like, all right, this sounds like some nice garage rock, some rock and roll anthem stuff, but it's also experimental enough to where it'll kind of get them into thinking, like, hey, maybe I want to check out kind of what's going on in the experimental rock world right now. Um, you know, Jack finally ditches this retroist point of view and embraces technology, but also at the same time criticizes it in these songs. He, he, with the use of those synthesizers, it's glitchy, it's abrasive, it's buzzy. Songs like Why Walk the Dog. May have actually been the first track. I mean, but yeah, there were points I was thinking like, wow, there is some retro stuff going on. Like over and over, that's that's really the closest you're going to get with like garage that, rock. That, that, I that's love actually that song. a recycled White Stripe song. It is? It is. It was written in 2005. It's a recycled White Stripe song that he kept trying to add some sort of new flavor to it. But he couldn't do it until he kind of met this new aesthetic that he took on with this new record. And he finally figured out a way to incorporate the song. And it's the best song off the record, arguably, for the mainstream listener. Yeah. And there are also points in the album, like I said, the keyboards. It was sounded like it was just pulled straight from a Boston album. And I, sure. I thought, thought there's some really nice throwbacks in there. But there was, again, a lot. I think there was a lot of experimentation. And I, I'm not knocking the record for experimenting. That's not why I like it. I just think it gets a bit artsy to me uh, for its own good at times. See, see, that's where I'm at. I had a totally different experience than you did listening to this album because I had – Right away with Connected by Love, I went, okay, that's kind of cool. It's soul, it's blues. He's got these nice little background vocals. And then we get into Walk, Why Walk the Dog. I was like, that's interesting. He's singing from the dog's point of view. <laughs> kind of kind of a fun song. And then Corporation, that's a bad song. Jeez. I, I, I actually like blasphemy. That one. I hated blasphemy. it, and then you I, run I like into Ebulia and Ecrisia. Yeah, don't try to don't try to pronounce it. That, <laughs> that one was, was a weird thing. That one was bad, and then my favorite song off the album, Hypermizo Phoniac. Oh, that that, that's good. a really cool song. I love the keyboards on it. It's a weird pitch shift up and down, but then you get songs like Ice Station Zebra. <laughs> Where I can I can see your dis- distaste with that. Where like, I like to compare the beat of that to kind of like a fresh Prince of Bel Air, very hoppity kind of vibe. And I can see your distaste. Not, but it is. It starts with this minute long saloon piano, and then he does this terrible, what he thinks rapping is, with just the corniest <laughs> of lyrics, <laughs> where he's talking about this guy named. Joe Blow criticizing you and saying that you're stealing work. And then it then he repeats the line at the end where we're all just copying God. Mm-hmm. I couldn't I couldn't get over the the stupidity. There are times where Jack White's lyrics borderline weird, but so, I couldn't get over the ridiculous stupidity of some so of these I songs. So, 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 um, 
so Elio, I to me, I I, I completely un my my. I don't want to sound like this kind of person. It's like, well, the lyrics don't matter. No, I understand. If the lyrics are there, they're there to be criticized if you deem they need to be criticized. So I completely understand their things. But to me, I really didn't pay attention to the lyrics when, when it comes to any sort of Jack White's music. Because to me, that's not what's... I, I care about guitar tone. I care about guitar playing, uh, production, um, you know, stuff like that. That's... Because to me, when I think Jack White, I think guitar. So that's why I pay attention to the most. The lyrics are kind of not even secondary to me when it comes to his music. So I, I, I'm a little more forgiving uh, for, for dumb, stupid lyrics. But yeah, no. I would I would go on the contrary and, and I'd back up Jack White's lyricism, especially with songs like Corporation. You know, the lyric, like, let's start a corporation. Nowadays, that's how you get adulation. That sticks out to me because it's like, if you want to be successful in this world, you got to be a corporate seller. You got to sell out. And he's saying, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, then again, and, this rec and that record kind of represents that because he's standing yeah, out from all of but, that. But then again, there, are, there have been points in his career where that kind of where he kind of is a hypocrite there. If you look again, if you're talking about third man's, you know, kind of. Um, Monopoly. Not not a monopoly, but just kind Detroit of like the, the 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 whole like stingy side of you know the, the exclusive record pressings or um, e even his stint with title. I think a lot of that can kind of. I can't you I can't. I don't think you can lay down third man alone. I mean, well, record not, companies like Matador and you know Courtney Barnett's Milk Records and you know Jag Jaguar. They're all all those indie labels. They're all doing the same thing with those colors and everything, but. So, so where I'm at with with his last album, Boarding House Reach, mm -hmm. is I I had I want to wait if he does another solo album to judge him or something else with Rack on Tours and Dead Weathers to fully judge it. But where I am with this album and what I got is that he went from doing like blow and pirates of the caribbean and really good movies to now he's jumped into full johnny depp where he dresses I like this comparison where he is dressing really eccentrically acting really weird and he's like gone. he wasn't before though mm -hmm. but he's he's gone from really talented and really good at what he does to now he is so comfortable where he is he almost like phoned it in and doesn't <sighs> And doesn't realize that his critique on corporations and people stealing music like off of Ice Station Zebra, it's not even like an interesting way to critique stuff. Like the music was pretty bad off this album for me and the lyrics were just stupid. I'm at like Jack White is jumping into Johnny Depp territory okay. of where his career is. Willy Wonka. Yeah. yeah, he's Willy Wonka. It's he, there full we go. circle. There it's we full go. circle. <laughs> so. I love it. Now that we've come full circle, we need to go into our classic album okay. for this week. And right, right before this, I got to say something. If <sighs> We were full circle. <laughs> I know. But let me say this. I'll make you a deal. I'll check out the Dead Weather stuff again if you go back and listen to Boarding House Reach. Even if it might be painful, <laughs> you have to look at it with these new ideas. Because I will say, I... Got a lot more time with that record because my car stereo was broken. That's the only CD I had at the time. <laughs> so that's what I would listen to every single day. So All right. All right. I'll do it. Well, deal. I'll, okay. I'll check out this album right. one more time. All right. I'm glad one we settled One more it. time. Now right, we can so get it. Back to Full time. Circle, yes, our classic see. album. What is it, Andrew? Uh, 
Well, Michael uh, decided that we should listen to Counselors, Counselors of the Lonely. Counselors Racketors of the Lonely. Second Counselors, Counselors, same thing. Yeah. Uh, probably. So it's the second album by the Rock on Tours. Um, yeah. Why do you think this is the one we should have chosen? So, yeah. Like I said earlier, the Rock on Tours got formed because of Steady As She Goes, that single. And it's a great song and everything. And that first record is great. But Counselors of the Lonely, I think, is where they really started to develop their unique aesthetic and started to take on their unique sound so if you check out that record um you know you're gonna be you're gonna adapt greatly to the raconteur's you know creative ideas plus it'll be great preparation for this new record coming out in 2019 if you need to refresh up on that uh what significance do you think this record holds when you look at his career I don't know. The Raconteurs is an interesting group because it's often overlooked. Um, you look at Jack White and you think White Stripes immediately. Then you might think of a solo career with recent stuff. And then it's a kind of a toss-up to say, all right, what's next in the line of importance? Uh, you know, Dead Weather or Raconteurs? And people often forget that, you know, Jack White was part of a great influential band um, that is the Raconteurs. And I think, you know, it's just a very underrated segment in his career, and I think anybody can catch on to it really quick if you immediately identify their aesthetic. Because he wore, when I listened to this album, listening to all of Jack White's discography, this for me was was the best album, pretty much. I'm like, sorry, post post White Stripes. Yeah. This was the best album out of all of them because I liked every single one of the songs off this album. I found it really hard to narrow it down to just three I could really talk about. Yeah. Whereas his other stuff, there's always at least one or two songs where I'm kind of going, whatever. Eh, maybe. Yeah, but you know, I, I for me, the, the album slogged a bit in the section, but overall, what I, I, when I stopped when I was done with the record, I'd say I just went, that was a great album. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, before going into this record, um, I really was only familiar with the big single off this one, Salute Your Solution, which even after listening through all this is still my favorite Jack White song ever. Everything ever is done. We're talking White Stripes, we're talking Rockin' Tours, Dead Weather, whatever. This is like, the for me, this is like his Pinnacle peak. Jack White. I yeah, I really, really love that song. It's the way that... I know I mentioned it earlier, but just the way that I just love how that opening riff comes in. Just those, that distortion, just, just the, the production and just everything. It just punches you in the face and it doesn't apologize for it. And I love that when production does that. Um, so, yeah, that for me, that's that song will always kick ass. But I found this record very... I guess consistent in quality, but certainly it definitely deviates from itself quite a bit. It would add horns in certain areas, add strings in certain areas. Um, it was a really varied record, and I I really enjoyed that as well. It just kind of didn't want to stay in one place, but it didn't deviate too far from itself to points like I've taken out of this record. So what song do you like the most from it? It's like, what song do you really want to talk about the most? I know you'd mentioned the... Uh... Oh, yeah. The, I think the title track is really appealing. I love that entire record, and but the title track really just stands out to me as being, um, you know, because what it kicks into right after is um, is your song, yeah. Sol- Solution or whatever. And But uh, from what I remember, the, the title track is very... It's a slow start, and it kind of, it kind of leaves you wondering, like, what is this album going to hold for me if I continue to dive into this 
and you're not disappointed by it. So I think it's just a great introduction above all the all else. I I really like the ballads on this album too. Yeah, because those were those were the songs that I really like. Liked. Old enough was a good one. That was a single as well, right? Mm-hmm. That one was really good. But so I, you, I I really liked this one. Yeah. Okay. I just want to make note that um, Switch and Spur was was a top contender because it uh, sounds almost like a spaghetti western song and you could fit into a Tarantino yeah, soundtrack. Think, yeah, and I, I love that. that and yeah. that was really cool. Yeah, but that so, was great. That but, was fantastic. That was a, that honorable mention. But the song that I really thought was the best, some people. Might not like it, but Carolina drama is probably one of the most was probably one of the most interesting things Jack White's ever written. And man kills man kills a dude with a milk bottle. (laughs) Yeah, the there's no easy way to describe the story of this, but it's a cool Western folk sounding song that builds and. And gets to a really high point in the tension and then releases it and leaves you a little upset with with the way that Jack White ends it (laughs) because he's telling the story of a, a mother, him, his brother and his stepfather. And so one day he sees the stepfather choking out a priest. And the son runs in and smacks the stepdad with this milk bottle and essentially and, and kills him. Well, wasn't there a and, lyric where like the milk yeah. runs down, the blood mixes in or something? Yeah, that was and it's crazy. Yeah, so so using that as uh, the lyrics for this song are incredibly vivid and just really well put together. There's there's no part of this song that doesn't work. It kind of establishes Jack White as a storytelling lyricist too. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Yeah, I, I again, that's just you know I said earlier. I don't really find his lyrics to be the most important part of his music, and I, but, I, I still think that. But like, yeah, you know, I, I, I can't deny that when he wants to, he can pull out really good lyrical lines. Like even when you go back to the White Stripes, I mean, Icky Thump had like some you know commentary about immigration in there what, as but, well. But this is what I mean, like. He's such a good lyricist. And then what he did on his last album <laughs> was so disappointing. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. But, but going back, going back to the song, the the son <laughs> the son kills the stepdad with, with the milk bottle. And the mom, he he's he the mom pulls out this envelope filled with money. And apparently the priest had been giving her money for years because the step because the priest is actually the guy's dad. You really took into the song. I yes. love it. <laughs> and so then the song ends with Jack White saying, oh, I know you want to hear the rest of the story, but I don't care. And I know you do. So ask the milkman. And it frustrated me to no end that I couldn't figure out what the actual story was and what the hell he actually meant. But... This song is so good for all of those reasons. And on the note of murder on, by milk bottle, we're gonna go into recommendations. <laughs> what about I you? had the best segue in this entire episode. Yeah, in a complete Jack White. We don't care about actually finishing this section. We're just going into recommendations. Because we're gonna let our guests start off. Uh, recommendations. This isn't 
doesn't really have anything to do, although mine kind of has some relations to our topic today. It uh, doesn't have to relate to it, just, I like this band, I like this song, I like this album, I want to recommend it. What are you recommending, Michael? Um, well, I am a huge fan of a Ann Arbor-based band called Dogleg that I saw for the first time at Bloodfest last year in Howell, Michigan. I strongly recommend this band. I've heard them be described as like Green Day meets like emo and math rock hardcore. Um, it's it's just a trip of different sounds, very catchy tunes, very melodic, but at the same time, it's just it's so abrasive and it takes you over with the you know this sound is absolutely insane. Um, I met their guitarist before, nice guy and everything. I you know I wouldn't consider myself friends with him, but uh, they're just all around nice guys, and I think they got a new record coming out, so definitely check them out. So, so now they're on Spotify, right? They're on Spotify. They got two okay. EPs up there. Um, just look up Dogleg. Uh, it'll be the first suggestion. So for my recommendation, I'm recommending Moontooth, which is a, they're the band and they have one album from two years ago called Chroma Paragon, which I don't know what that means. Don't care too much, but they're a math metal band that also does some cool uh, gent metal. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm, <gonna do> it. <laughs> I'm it, joking. It's a, Is it like Animals as Leaders kind of stuff? Uh, sort of, but they're, but they're not. They, they do gent stuff where it's that really low, like, thump on the guitar. Yeah. But the guitarist is also really intricate and really with what he does so it's really sped up where there are times where sometimes a riff might sound like a mastodon riff where it's that really interesting guitar riff where it's not only picking but also finger picking and it's really neat or did you say they're an instrumental band or no 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 they're they they have a singer so what does the singer sound like is, is it like growling kind of stuff um you know but uh, between the buried and me, okay, there the singer is sort of along those lines, but he never does like those really deep growls or anything like that. So it's it's a weird mix where it's this heavy metal music, but the singer doesn't do any like throaty vocals or anything like that, and he's got a pretty nice voice. But so the two songs that I'd recommend off his album are Queen Wolf and Igneous. Those are the two signals.
but if you watch their uh, music videos on YouTube, they're almost comically bad. Oh, the, the music the videos? The music videos? Yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're pretty funny in how bad they are, but yeah. they're a really cool band. I would definitely recommend them. They're called Moontooth. Most, but the most important thing is, does this band gent? They gent. Okay, good. That, that's the yes. me, right? That's <laughs> yes, the they do. I'm reconsidering being a fan of this podcast. I'm surprised you won't go for this long. Uh, <laughs> anyways, anyways, to completely deep. Uh, deviate from uh, these guys and stuff. I'm recommending a band called the Five Six Seven Eights. They're a Japanese trio, I think, formed in the mid '90s, and they kind of make this weird, like, poppy surf rock kind of stuff. Kind of sounds kind of like the surf rock you'd hear from the '60s, but not really. Um, it's it's really hard to pinpoint them. So, like, early Bangles is what you're saying? No. <laughs> Well, maybe a titch, a touch of it. Why, why are you making fun of me so much like that? I'm sorry, I just thought it was funny. Oh, yeah, go on, go on. Sorry, sorry. Oh, yeah, so it's the guy wearing a Scott Staff t-shirt. Fair enough. <laughs> anyway, he's, Elliot was wearing a Scott Staff t-shirt today. But no, yeah, they have, they, they, they play usually very clean sounding instruments, like lots of reverb, but it, it tends to be like your standard surf rock kind of stuff. Especially on some of the later material, uh, especially on the song Bomb the Twist, which is the one that I personally recommend. I don't know if it's the most accessible, but it's the one I enjoy the most. The woman screams like a freaking maniac. She has this, the most manic vocal performance you've ever heard, and I love it. It's such a contrast from like the clean backing vocals and all like the nice instruments, and she's like screaming like she's got like a frog like tap dancing in her throat. It's great. The most, the biggest like closest thing they ever got to like mainstream attention. I think they were on a Fast and Furious soundtrack and i think they had a scene in kill bill um yeah so that's the group i want to recommend um i really enjoy them i think they had a, a relationship with third man that i didn't even know exist existed until now so cool. there we go that's our recommendations and i think that's the show thank you for coming on michael i thank appreciate you guys. it guys had a great time uh well until we talked about jet apparently mm. so <laughs> <laughs> anyways thank you very much for listening yeah and have a good day see you